0: Hey listeners, we just want to make a formal announcement that In The Heap will be teaming up with E1M1 Magazine to produce a special mini-mag all about Quake and Quake, level design and Quake multiplayer, the original Quake, Quake 1, a whole extra magazine to entice people to uh, help fund this awesome thing. So Kickstarter for this run of e1m1 magazine is beginning in february like the first probably and then it's going to run for 30 days in order to receive this exclusive collaborative quake themed e1m1 magazine you need to back either tier three or four and i looked that up and it's like uh, i think 20 euros or something like that it's not that bad and then shipping will begin in uh, march or early april so definitely keep your eyes open for that and uh, when you see the Kickstarter go out, and I'll I'll be sure to try to attach it to this if it's ready in time, then uh, get in there. If you haven't tried out E1N1 Magazine, like if you haven't actually read an article from that magazine yet, uh, you can go on their digital store, E1N1Magazine.com I think is what the website's called, and just like go apeshit crazy. There's so much good stuff in there. Um, they have an awesome cast of writers. Uh, Zach Murphy and Jake Parr. This is kind of their baby. And then they have uh, Captain Caleb and Major Arlene on the team. This is going to be... <sighs> if you have that nostalgia for magazines that I have, you have no reason not to check this out. I, I back the very first one, and I still have my copy with Dusk on the cover. I'm really proud to be part of this. And I interviewed a lot, a lot of really cool people from the Quake community as part of this. And some that you you may not think would come right to mind as soon as you hear the word quake like who are they I mean don't truck yeah we got them <laughs> we got a morpher but uh I think there's some other faces in there you're gonna be like oh wow wouldn't even have thought of that and uh some beautiful things uh beautiful stuff that they're writing back answering some of our deeper questions so yeah looking forward to your feedback from that but hey for now enjoy the show first
1: time ever
0: hear you loud and clearly uh, and it was going place
1: that stuff's great
0: but the game is not a roguelike
1: boomer shooter
0: <laughs> Bang.
1: hello this is john st john and you're listening to kwep in the key bringing you all the hits from the finest in the world of gaming and entertainment. Now sit back and relax as the Drowned God kathala lulls your mind with the tastiest talk in town.
0: Welcome to another chapter of In the Keep podcast. I'm your very own prophet of the Drowned God, the Motherlode. The Keep is a collective of gaming enthusiasts compelled by the Drowned God kathala to frag and jib one another into oblivion for all eternity okay alex with a k welcome to uh this episode of in the keep i guess thanks for having it's nice me. to meet you likewise yeah you're you're someone whose like name I see around all over the place, you know, it seems like everywhere. I looked at our like mutual Discord servers a bit ago and I was like, Oh, wow, everywhere. Okay. And then, you know, I was working on this this magazine thing with Amorpher, and when I read your responses to that, I was like, Oh man, holy shit, I need to go check this guy out. So I had him send me, you know, your bandcamp page and a bunch of stuff from all of the mods that you've worked on. And I started listening to it and I was like, Holy crap. I've been missing out. So here we are.
1: Well, I'm, I'm glad you uh, thought well enough of me to, to have me on. And yeah, I, I guess uh, I have been making the rounds the past year or so. I haven't, I haven't really thought about it in the moment, but yeah, now that I think about it. Yeah. It's it's been a lot of, uh, a lot of projects the past year or so.
0: Yeah. um, Uh, Do you know Sven who also worked on Alkaline? He, He did a lot of the UI stuff.
1: Uh, uh, Patoing? Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 He did, uh, he did fixtures on that. I think.
0: Yeah. He's working on uh, I, combustion I with us. Passing.
1: He seems like a really nice guy.
0: Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. And he, he was he, telling me,
1: that's, that's fantastic.
0: He was showing me alkaline and he was like, and I was like, who did the soundtrack? This, this shit slaps, man. This is crazy. Good. <laughs> and he, uh, he, he and amorph both like parallel pointed me towards you. So it was, it was the only logical thing to do is just like, yeah, I'll reach out. And I, I think I like searched you and I didn't even push enter or anything. I didn't message you, but it sent that stupid little discord emoji. And I was like, whoa, I guess. Well, because you responded to it. And I was like, <laughs> oh man. <laughs> well, I guess it's like meant to be. No, we have to do uh, an interview with this guy.
1: Oh, oh yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Like yeah. a, a direct through line to me from two. <laughs> yeah. Petoni is a really cool guy. Um, uh, his art is incredible. I remember playing that map he made with uh Plaw in alkaline. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I don't recognize any of these textures, but they're great. And uh, it was actually uh, Greenwood, uh, the guy behind uh, Alkaline's production. Yep. He was like, "Yeah, this is this is all Patoin's work." And uh, apparently, they had worked on some other stuff together in the past too. It, it, yeah, he's super super talented.
0: Yeah, usually when we finish working, you know, we're like, okay, we I mean, just be bros and talk about whatever we want now. And then, of course, you know, he's like, "Oh, check out all these textures I did for this map," and then. You know, and then he's showing us like the Bob Ross secrets and little, little things that he came up with or helped with. And uh, yeah, it was really, really cool. Yeah. There's a Bob Ross (laughs) secret. There's a crate, um, that you can walk into and it actually says like, uh, I don't really know how he typed it, but he made numbers look like if you like read it the right way, it spells out Bob Ross on the secret box. And it's the only box in the whole room that has, I'm telling you any text on on
1: my phone. I apologize.
0: Oh, it's cool. Yeah, don't worry about that. It was it was barely audible to me, and you know, if it blows the eardrums of our listeners out, it won't be the first time. Like I'd I'd imagine anyone who's listened to all of our episodes is probably deaf by now. <laughs> they just Fair put enough. it on out of habit. <laughs>
1: so. What What's the connective tissue between Patong and Bob Ross? Is he just a big fan? Like
0: I have no idea. You know, I I really don't know. He <laughs> he he just thought it would be a funny joke for some reason. I'd he'd have to explain it himself to. You'd had to be there I guess. I don't know. But they I'll be decided sure ask to ask
1: about that next time I talk to him.
0: Yeah, definitely do. Maybe I should just get him on and ask him myself. <laughs> <But> <laughs> no, no, he's great. He's like he's doing a lot of really really cool uh UI stuff that I I have never seen someone work as fast and efficiently as he does. Like the the guy is just mesmerizing to just watch a stream of him working all day. I can barely get anything done because I'm just staring at like the way that he makes fonts or the way that he like will adjust the fake lighting on one little part of a piece of ui that oh wow that looks amazing now like that made all the difference it's really really an art form that i had never thought about until getting into game development
1: uh you're you're not the first person that i've heard that from uh, everyone yeah. i've talked to who's worked with patoying is like yeah this guy is just a he's a machine he's he just does it and it works every time
0: yeah he came highly recommended so it was, it was really a cool just onboarding him in in the beginning because we realized that we had so much in common, like he's talking about all this like really cool Quake one stuff he did. And he basically knew everyone that I knew and we just didn't know each other. It's, you know, it just happens sometimes.
1: That's usually the case of the Quake one community. It's (laughs) like you, you you all hang out in the same circles,
0: but like never directly connect. So when, when did the bug bite you? When did maybe even before Quake, when did the musical part come?
1: Uh, oh, the music bug! Oh, geez. Yeah. Um, I was a kid. Uh, okay. About how old was I? I was twelve years old, actually, and um, I was listening to Iron Maiden, Peace of Mind. Oh, uh, yes. That was the first you... vinyl I ever owned. Too. What an awesome! And uh, I just remember. Oh man, it's amazing. I, I, just about everything before, like everything Wicker Man and before, I think is fantastic from that band.
0: I and, uh, I even like a lot of the stuff after Wicker Man to be. Begin- to be completely straight, even uh, like Man on the Edge. Like, I love that song. I don't care. Even with – it doesn't matter who's singing it. Even when they do it live with Bruce, it's still a great song. Like, I can't take that stuff away Man from Man on them. the
1: Edge, it's a perfectly fine song. It just doesn't feel like Maiden to me. But yeah, no, it's not a bad song.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, when Bruce sings it, then it just sounds like Maiden even. It's like, oh, okay. It kind of mixes into the catalog really well, I think. And there's a few just kind of peppered in. Like, over the years, they've – um. Yeah, but Wicker Man, I'd say that was like the last really, really awesome one that I'd say. I like everything, you know, from this era of Maiden back for sure. I think you're right. Fair enough. Yeah,
1: I, yeah. I think that's the general consensus with them. Anyway, uh, but yeah, <laughs> just listening to that album, yeah, uh, just listening to it, I was like, man, this is really cool. Like, people can just do this. Like, if you're good enough and you know what you're doing, like, you can make noise and it sounds cool. Yeah, I, and I was just like, yeah, you know what, I kind of want to play guitar. I just want to give it a shot. Uh, my brother had played for a little while before me. He didn't take it terribly seriously, but, uh, he, there was a practice guitar in the house because he had used it years before. And I just picked what, it up and I just, what, what kind of guitar
0: was it? Was it like a first actor?
1: Uh, uh, well, uh, the equivalent of I think I think the brand was K K A Y, which is I think oh. it was just another you know generic beginner brand. Uh, yeah, it was like it was a cheap beginner guitar. Yeah, it had like had, a single bridge pickup. It was awful.
0: We we had the little you know like kid size starter first act acoustic guitar, and I I think the beginnings of me learning how to play were really on that thing. Like I I had figured out simple riffs like Smoke on the Water before my parents were like oh, we should probably buy him a real instrument. Like,
1: <laughs> <I think laughs> Yeah, he, that's usually the yeah. case. Yeah. Uh, speaking of for, first act, actually, um, I'm not sure how much you know of this, but when I was, when I was a touring musician, first act mm-hmm. was make, trying to make the leap into legitimate guitar manufacturer. Mm-hmm. And they opened, they opened up a showroom on Newberry Street, or was it Boylston Street? There, there's a famous street here in Massachusetts, specifically in Boston. Uh, and they opened up a giant showroom there to like showcase like their yeah. high end guitars. They were trying to get a bunch of artists to endorse with them. Uh, I, as far as I know, that failed. But it was really wild to just watch them really, you know, make an earnest attempt at changing their branding. Uh, what yeah, what professional was, what, guitar player would
0: ago. would want to be the guy who's like, yeah, I play first act. Like, who are the first few uh, people you I, approach? I, I, I'm sh-
1: I'm sure they I, I mean I'm sure they had a few back then. Uh, yeah. honestly, I couldn't tell you. I like, I'm thinking about it like I guess if you're offered enough money and uh, the instrument is built to your specs, I mean, you know, why not take them up on it? And if it doesn't work out, you just you move on to something else, right? I don't know. I, I feel like if the opportunity was offered to me, I'd be like, yeah. I mean, I was like a poor touring musician at the time. I would have taken a free guitar absolutely.
0: I, I bet it, they could get the whole country
1: free.
0: whole country music industry in like <laughs> one foul sweep. You think so? Yeah, Toby Keith, you offer him enough money and then Brad Paisley. I don't know. He's actually a serious guitar player he may he may have some strife about it, but yeah, I think you could get those guys. People like that. Jimmy Buffett, I mean,
1: you know. Everyone's got a price. <laughs> yeah. I believe that. Um but yeah, I just yeah, just I just got lucky. I stumbled uh, upon some cool music when I was twelve years old and got inspired just out of the blue. Uh, from there, I got lessons uh, mainly in jazz. Uh, my uh, my guitar teacher uh, w- specialized in music theory and bossa nova jazz. So that's that's Whoa. the majority of my background. That's so um, cool, bossa no, nova. I, yes, it's fun. Um, yeah, like stuff like Carlos Jobim and stuff. It, it was it's fun to play. I don't particularly care to listen to it. Not that yeah. I have anything against it. It's just not. Doesn't have the the energy or dynamics that I'm looking for, but it's definitely informed the way I write music. Uh, by you know my root progressions and a lot of my chord shapes are heavily borrowed from jazz, uh, regardless of what kind of music I'm playing in that moment. So I, I'm I'm definitely I feel very grateful that I had the opportunity to learn jazz because it's it's made me a better musician.
0: I, I had the opposite um, then, yeah, where it's uh, like I I I wanted to learn first and then later kind of discover jazz and developed an appreciation from there, but trying to add those techniques in post, as opposed to having that kind of ingrained in you early as a musician, I would imagine can lead to a very different way of writing songs. Like than what you're your agreeing. Yeah. I wouldn't say one see. is
1: right or wrong. It's just, right. Yeah. yeah.
0: It, it's just, you're going to get a different
1: result. You're going to visualize music and your instrument differently, depending on when you attain that information and in what, manner. right. I, I absolutely agree
0: okay so anyway back to your story
1: (laughs) yeah after high school i just i said i i want to give this a shot i didn't go to college i joined a a a serious band out of boston called therefore i am uh we played like three shows a night back when like local music was a thing uh the, the northeast specifically massachusetts there were a lot of big bands at the time uh uh, the receiving end of sirens, the cadence, and also obviously you had bands like Killswitch Engage and Shadows Fall uh, out, you know, just west of Worcester. Yeah, there was a huge, huge music scene in Massachusetts at that time, so we were, we were getting on that train at the right moment. Uh, shows were always like super high energy.
0: When People was this? Were always
1: asking us to play this or that. Uh, I graduated in '04, so like '04 yeah. into like '06 was. kind of like we were, when we I was doing that
0: after hate breed had kind of taken off and blew up the, the Northeast a little more, you know, in the middle scene.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah. We were on like the, we were like the advent of the, the post hardcore movement in <laughs> yeah, Massachusetts yeah. after stuff like hate breed and cave like capitalized on the like traditional hardcore stuff,
0: man. And, uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. What a time to be alive.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I, uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's wild to think about. It. It's been that long. Yeah, it's been, yeah. holy shit. It's been 20 years, just about. That is crazy.
0: And then, so... I probably mean, shouldn't swear on this,
1: huh? <laughs> I just oh, no, scared s- me.
0: Swear all you want. It, no, this is not a, a, all right, cool. a swearing-free program by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> so, all right, cuss away. <laughs> Welcome aboard. Thank you. No, it's a... Uh, so, you're starting out in this like kind of you would say like mid-level rock band in this 2004 and Mm -hmm. like, what, what do you take away from that experience? What, where did you, where did you go? Did did it take you anywhere like that? Even in life, not just physically, but just anything cool from that time period?
1: Yeah. uh, well, Yeah. Well, absolutely. Yeah. I mean that, that time in, in, uh, therefore I am definitely informed a lot about how I, approach music and the business now. Uh you know, I ended up leaving because I ended up getting really burnt out on it. But in my time in the band was valuable because obviously playing with musicians, you know, especially ones of your caliber are better, make you better. And I met a lot of people. Uh most importantly I met this gentleman, uh I'll just we'll use his first name only. His name is Chris. Uh and he's a lifelong friend of mine now too. He actually recorded a bunch of our stuff. He was we were an up-and-coming band and he was an up-and-coming producer and engineer. And, uh, we worked on a bunch of songs and EPs with, with him specifically. And even after I left the band, he and I stayed close. Um, and between now and my departure from therefore I am, we worked on a bunch of other projects together. We would, you know, just hang out in general. And he's the one that actually really got me into, uh, uh, music production and engineering outside of the purview of just being a musician. It was, a uh, I want to say about, how old am I now? Almost 10 years ago, I was working with him on a different project. Uh, we were recording and he was showing me a bunch of stuff that was happening in the music industry that he found fascinating. I, I was still very much in the the rock, metal, post-hardcore camp. And he had moved on to uh, more electronic music. He was working on a lot of trap step and dubstep at the time. And he was showing me, you know, just, you know, he figured I'd had I would have an interest in it, you know, just from an analytical perspective of music. And we just, you know, there was, there was an evening in which we were in the studio and we just talked about it all night. he was showing me different things that he was working on other bands he was listening to. And I was, I was really just completely blown away and really fascinated by the things that were happening outside of rock and metal. Like I, I, I I knew that these things existed. I just didn't understand to what degree they were evolving and at what speed. And it just, it it blew my mind that um, people were doing these things. And more importantly, they were doing it from the comfort of their homes on a computer, Uh, and that's what really got me thinking. This is something that looks fun, and it's something I can do. So, from those conversations, Chris, uh, he helped me uh, get a lot of software and just start working in Ableton, and just you know, a lot of trial and error. I would say, had I not spent the years that I did, and therefore I am, I never would have met Chris, and I and I wouldn't be where I am today. Like I owe that guy. Uh, uh, basically everything that I do and know now about music production.
0: It's really wild. Like how the the people you meet along the way are so integral to your journey. Like when you kind of trace it all back, but yeah, I can, I, I, there's a few people I could point at in the same way. Like, yeah, that was a meeting that person changed the course of my life kind of thing.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, in the moment, I guess it's hard to recognize, but yeah, when you look at the totality of your life, and uh, you look at uh, all the years in context with each other uh, across a much greater timeline, as opposed to just the past six months or the past year. When you look at it in like the past two decades, yeah. you know there are uh, there are a handful of people usually that stick out, and, and you know it, it's clear that their influence is felt in just about everything you do.
0: So at this point, you've you've gotten into electronic music and you know, digital. <laughs> Um, music creation for be- lack of a better term, but then how do you get from there to your, your latest stuff is e- extremely different. Like I, when I go back and I listen to a few tracks off of your record, or I don't know if it's a record or an EP really, but tiger tiger eyes. Right. Mm-hmm. And I hear that super electronic, almost dub sort of sort of thing in there In a track like paranoid, I think is the one I was listening to uh, on my walk earlier, actually. And then to, you know the alkaline soundtrack which is just dark and ambient and, and really not all that musical to be honest it's it's a little more um, chaotic which is i'm sure why and for like when he gives me the thumb of approval i'm like okay <laughs> of course yeah it's got to be good but yeah so how did you make that transition like that's a long way <laughs> from your roots as a as a jazz slash uh, rock metal guitar player or whatever
1: you are not incorrect, uh, but it is fair to point out that, uh, I mean, there are many years between the Tiger Eyes EP and the yeah. Line stuff. It's
0: 2016, um,
1: right? Um, uh, yes, yeah, 2016 sounds about right. It was just before right. my hand injury, um, and uh, Tiger Eyes was very much a feeling out process. Like, it, I mean, I'm still very proud of it, but if you were to listen to it, no two songs are really the same in terms of composition or, or or ideas or theming or even samples. Like I was just kind of like, I want to try writing an electric song that feels like this or, or or like that. It was, it was very much like, I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm just going to apply what I know about composition to the electronic music production process without knowing how to really do that. Let's just see what happens. Um, As far as, stuff like Alkaline, which is obviously the most recent stuff I wrote, mm-hmm. um, between Tiger Eyes and then, obviously, you know, music, my music changed, my tastes continue to evolve and mature. I've listened to a lot more music in the, the time between Alkaline and uh, Tiger Eyes, learned a lot more specific information and technique about electronic music production. And honestly, listening to a lot of dark ambient stuff in the past year, definitely yeah. informed Alkaline because- I started, uh, before I started doing Quake stuff, I was I was starting to like dip my toes into like noise because mm-hmm. I, I, I was fascinated by the idea of people making what is ostensibly music that wasn't uh, particularly melodic, you know, just very yeah. near cacophonous just noise. And I was listening to a band called, uh, they're an industrial band called Author and Punisher. It's just one mm-hmm. guy. He's like a, He's a microbiologist, like imaging te- technician, who like built his own synths. He's he's unbelievable. Author and Punisher is like I recommend them to anybody.
0: Why is that um, so similar to and- Amorfer? That is wild. Well, what is? More uh, Amorfer is, a, is also like and a, or? yeah. Author and Punisher has your backstory as you just gave it is very similar to Amorfer. Like he's also a, oh really? <laughs> yeah, he's like a, bi- a biomechanical uh, scientist or some some crazy shit like that. He he was like working maybe on maybe for
1: secretly authoring. Yeah, maybe he maybe. is author and Punisher and just hasn't told us.
0: I doubt it. Um, but that's, but that's yeah. Really cool. I, I
1: just I just started experimenting with that because uh, I, I was just fascinated by the idea of noise. So that's he the author and Punisher was definitely like my my gateway into that realm of music, and obviously stuff like Immort for the things that he does and the things yeah. that Marquis has done for Quake and uh, of course uh, there's another. Uh, I'm not sure if they still make music, but Greenwood turned me on to this guy. Uh, he goes by Verbamentis and he also makes like dark ambient stuff that uh, Greenwood's actually used in a lot of Quake stuff he's produced. Uh, he's also extremely talented. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, believe it or not, my 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 ventures into this kind of dark ambient industrial stuff is actually fairly new and budding, and uh, fairly um, yeah. I haven't listened to a lot of material. I just I kind of listened to a select few things within that genre and said, okay, this is what they're aiming for. This is the kind of emotions they're trying to evoke. I can do that. You know, these are the sounds that they're using. Okay. i will going to pull from there and just, you know, apply those samples and those sensibilities to what I already do. I, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's a very clinical process. I guess you could say, I, I, I think about it like building blocks more than I do uh, in, in a flowery artistic way.
0: <laughs> yeah um, just looking at your recent catalog it, it's like, it's like you got a second wind or like this genre really touched you bit, seriously because you you did dwell and then you did alkaline you know two years back to back and granted this is you know uh the, the age of staying at home and people being really creative you know especially those who hadn't been able to in a while but on the other hand you know bef- there's a there's a clear mark in your change as soon as you kind of got into the the dark ambient sort of thing and th- it's such an odd yeah, genre you know, to talk that's about a good
1: point. yeah well uh, you know it, it's funny that you mention that because I, one i completely agree with you and i and i think a lot of that i can i can attribute to uh the quake community i mean mm-hmm. it, it, it was the people within the quake community that got me to try this stuff uh when they brought me on for dwell um and uh really pushed for me to just you know do my best and you know keep building on the ideas that I had, if it weren't for this community, I probably would have just said, ah, oh, you know, that was fun and moved on. But like, uh, the quick community, or at least the people that I'm personally involved with have been, uh, instrumental in like my continued interest in grow and maturing, making dark ambient music because they're, they're extremely supportive. Uh, and just, yeah, just really wonderful, creative people that like, it's really easy to feed off of their energy and enthusiasm for Quake. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's actually, you know, really helped me stay uh, engaged in making this kind of music. So I I owe a lot to
0: them for sure. So how, at what point during that time do you start to get in touch with 3D Realms?
1: Oh, well, uh, okay. Well, uh, honestly, it starts with me meeting Marky, you know, Marky Uh music. Uh, I actually, we had a, a, a Twitter mutual. I can't remember who it was, but there was someone that was following both of us or I, we were following the same person. And I, I occasionally posted music on Twitter. Um, and I was working on some noise stuff actually. And I just posted like a noise demo. I'm like, yeah, I'm trying some things. And I think Marky found me on Twitter through whomever our mutual was. And I, I can't remember who it was. I so forgive mm-hmm. me. It might've been Osric actually from, uh, from Viscera fest.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, So Marky, he he liked my tweet and he commented. He's like, Hey, this sounds cool. It'd be great for Quake. There's just like an offhand, you know, polite comment of his. And then like, I think later that day or that evening, he found me on discord, probably through Osric again and said, Hey, I'm working on a thing for Quake. I think your music is really cool. Do you want in on this? So he, he actually, Marky is the one who brought me on to dwell. Okay. Uh, Um, uh he recommended me and then, you know, everyone else was on board. We worked on that for a bit. And then, you know, as I was working on dwell and getting feedback from everyone and working with him closely, he, he would occasionally come to me with uh, some other stuff within the quick community and said, Hey, you know, I'm working on this thing with someone else. Do you want to try running a track for it? So this went back and forth for a few months, you know, just us, you know, fostering a friendship and, you know, uh, and being work companions. And, um, he came to me last year, this like this month last year, and was like, "Hey, um, I'm working on a thing for 3D Realms. do Do you want to help me?" And I was like, "For real?" He's like, "He's like, yeah. I, th- I think you're good enough, and you know, you obviously you'll be working under me. So, you know, if if there's any feedback or if anything you need to work on, or you know, if you need help with something, I'm here to help you. But yeah, you know, I think you have what it takes. So honestly, it was it's all Marky. I, I owe the guy my career." if if it weren't for him, like errantly finding me on Twitter, I would not be at 3D Realms. So yeah, yeah, Fred brought me on per Marquis recommendation. He's, he just basically told Fred, Hey, this guy's worth. And Fred's like, all right. (laughs) And yeah, that's that.
0: And that sounds like, like, (laughs) no, it's uh, that's really cool. So man, did you ever think, you know, back in 2004 that this was something you'd be doing in the future? In, in the video game. <laughs> not world. only did I
1: not think that in 2004, I wouldn't have not, I would have not have thought that two years ago. Like, yeah, for real. like this is just, things happened really, really, really fast, but I mean, in, in a good way, but yeah, it's not in a million years. Did I think I would be, uh, marrying my love of music and my love of games in any capacity, let alone a professional one. Like this has been a dream come true. Um, I think about it almost every day and now like how, lucky I am because there are people who are just as talented, if not more talented than me, who deserve the same opportunity. But, you know, I, I happen to uh, know the right people and those people happen to be very, very kind and supportive. And, you know, here I am, you know, I, I, uh, it really is a dream come true. There's, there's no other way to describe it.
0: Yeah. So at this point, what would you say are some of your musical interests? I I definitely can any any time it has to do with the quake community, I'll be like, yeah, I can I can really hear the Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, you know, influence. But other than that, like, what, <laughs>
1: what
0: what's going on in your head?
1: Um, well, I mean, for work, obviously, you know, I, I listen to the references that I'm given by my director and Fred and Marky. You know, they're you know, hey, we need a track like this. You know, uh, these these are the things we want you to reference and let us know what you think. You know, and see if you can emulate that. So, I mean, a, a lot of my casual listening now actually is for work and it would be those things but if i am left to my own devices right now believe it or not i am really currently i am really really into j-pop i uh, <laughs> i am yeah. absolutely just in love with it it like there's just like there's an infectious energy with it that i i tend to not find in other things and uh it, it's hard to describe the way in which western music versus eastern music is written like there's a lot more I, I just refer to it as groove in Western music. Like a lot of composers, you know, regardless of genre, will often just kinda hang on a bass root progression yep. and move that slowly in Western music, which is totally fine. You know, they're like there is like a groove and like an ebb and flow to Western pop or just Western music in general. Eastern music, particularly that of um Japan because Korea is heavily influenced by Western music, but that's a different discussion. Uh, Japanese pop music. There's a ton of, I guess the word I want to use is verticality in their uh, composition. A lot, a lot of heavy bass root progression movement. They use a lot of modes that aren't common in Western music. Uh, And uh, it's just, uh, it's, it's just as good, not worse, not better, just equally as good in very, very different ways and very, in, in ways that I personally am not as well-versed. So I find it really, really fascinating when I hear uh, Japanese composers use these techniques and modes and write in a way that is just completely foreign to me. Uh, it, 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 I, I want to better understand that. I, I would love to be able to capture the things that they can capture the way they do it, because I know I can't. I, I, I have a way of writing. It's very in line with with Western composition. So yeah, I just, yeah, it's just really, really cool to me.
0: That is very fascinating. Like just the idea of J-pop in any way influencing the, the sounds that I hear (laughs) come out of the speakers (laughs) when I play your music, but yeah, that's really cool.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, good music is good music no matter, no matter where it is or, you know, how it, uh, you know, what, what feelings it evokes. True. Um, But as far as the stuff that you've heard, I mean, yeah, outside of Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor, obviously, um, I listen to uh, a lot of Alex, uh, Alexander Brandon, the guy who did, oh yeah, uh, oh hell yeah, Unreal and uh, yeah Deus Ex. Uh, he's, he's super super talented.
0: He recently and, uh, did the, something. Yeah, the, right? the people
1: who worked on the new uh, who uh, Brandon did he? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. He, there was like a big. Oh, if he n- did, I missed it. Hold on, I'll find it. You keep talking, I'll I'll shout it out as I find it.
1: Alright, cool. Yeah, I mean, as far as the uh, uh, newer composers, um, this gentleman out of um, China named Yupeng Chen and uh, he did the soundtrack to You're Gonna Kill Me, Genshin (laughs) Impacts. No way. uh, That game being as uh, divisive as it is, I recommend everyone listen to the soundtrack. It's nearly seven hours long. It's all original music written by him. Uh, He performed half of it with the symphony in Asia and the other half of it with the symphony in England to uh, better evoke the sensibilities and tones and voices of those regions, depending on where you are in the soundtrack and where you are in the game. So yeah, Genshin as a game aside, the soundtrack is like this incredible, incredible feat of just genius and ambition that I think anyone should like. You can just listen to it outside of the purview of the game and it's, it's amazing. I can't begin to describe how incredible it is. Um, and as far as other music goes, I mean the the uh, the new Deus Ex games, Human Revolution, uh, Mankind Divided. Those soundtracks are fantastic. I think uh, I think Michael McMahon wrote for both of them, and there was a second composer for Mankind Divided, but he's he did most of the work across both games. And um, there's a gentleman I can't remember his name, but the gentleman who wrote Tenet. Uh, that the the film I think came out last year or the year before, um, Marky actually turned me on to that soundtrack uh, because it is wild. It is just like this incredible, punchy, uh, urgent and like anxiety inducing like mix of like synth and symphonic sounds. It is just incredible. It, it, it heart pounding stuff, and uh, it's. So amazingly, not only is the the composition really, really strong, not only is it written really well, but it's produced perfectly. Um, the instruments picked for every single part, whether they be uh, a real instrument or a synth, is just, it's perfect. It, uh, Tenet, whether or not you want to see the movie, you got to listen to the soundtrack. It's incredible.
0: <laughs> so I found what we were looking uh, for. Alexander Brandon the thing that I was thinking of was that he was in Wasteland 3 but he was just a voice actor apparently which I did not know he did. Oh really? I didn't know he did yeah. voice work. Yeah, yeah. that's wild. Yeah. I remember I can't remember what it was but there was a some interview that I would heard I believe the creator of Wasteland talking in and he mentioned Alexander Brandon. That's probably why that came to mind. But yeah. Mm. But yeah, there are a lot there are lots of really interesting scores to to movies that stand alone outside of the movie themselves that are just really worth listening to on their own. Um, like John Carpenter comes to mind in a huge way. And then I mean, who, who else would I think of uh, definitely Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross's soundtracks. I've listened to the social network soundtrack probably 10 times more than I've seen the movie. Maybe, maybe far more than that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, likewise, that that yeah. soundtrack is absolutely. I mean, the movie's great too, but um, yeah, uh, Trent Trent and Atticus's work on films, while Nine Inch Nails is amazing, their work on films has been like transcendent, in my opinion. Oh yeah, I, I think it is some of Trent's best work. The man can literally, he can literally do anything. Um, did you know he produced the new Halsey album? No. I had no idea. Like that's just wild to me. Yeah, um, I found out as the album was coming out. Because um, uh, yeah, it's just it's just you know she's, she's a famous pop artist. You know, news out comes out that Halsey's releasing a new album. Everyone's like, oh, okay, cool. It's uh, produced by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Everyone turns their head. They're like, are you kidding me? And if you listen to that album, their DNA is all over it. It is incredible. It's this. Uh, it's a really unique mix of, um, you know, just typical strong traditional pop sensibility with that that kind of unnerving undertone of Trent's stuff. You know, it's it makes sense. It's music, but there's like there's something slightly like uncanny about it. It makes you feel yeah. a little bit uncomfortable. Um, it's
0: it's kind of genius. I highly recommend you check it out if you're a fan of Trent and Atticus. He's a really fantastic composer in any anything you put him in like they they, he did a saw a Saul williams record which is ostensibly like a like an almost slam poetry rap album and it's trent producing the whole thing and it's amazing i mean he can do hip-hop he can do movies he he could do games you know at least one so makes you wonder though like why why not why not do more games
1: Um, My guess is, I mean, knowing him, he's so huge, he can name his price. It's probably at this point, it's probably just a lack of interest. Um, I I obviously can't speak for the man, but I I did catch an interview with him about film scoring recently. I want sometime last year in which he talked about getting into film scoring and what drew him to it. Uh, Apparently, it was just like the idea of it or the act of doing it was just such an otherworldly challenge to him that he found like extremely attractive. He's like, I've never done anything like this. I don't even know where to start. Like I'm literally throwing out everything I understand of, you know, conceiving of an album or, you know, getting music to make you feel a certain way or the pacing of a traditional album and like starting from ground zero. It was just, yeah, I I guess for him, I I, I mean, who knows? Maybe he just wanted to get into films. (laughs) But the way he described it made it sound like writing for film was just such a, it was such a different beast that that alone was enough to, to get him excited. And, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say he's conquered the the video game avenue. I mean, he really only did Quake and then dropped out of Doom 3 as far as I, I understand it. Um, but, yeah, my guess is that he just doesn't have much of an interest, which is unfortunate because I would love to, I would love to hear him do something now after it being what, 25 years since Quake has come out, you know, what has yeah. he learned and what has, what has he changed about the way he does things in that time? And how would he apply that to a game? That would be really, really cool. I
0: think. It makes you wonder though, because he, when I think about it, how many games really can allocate the kind of money he probably makes on a film score, you know, like if he's working with David I mean, he was like David Fincher's guy there for several movies in a row. And I'm sure that's a tremendous amount of money. I can't really think of many many video game franchises that could generate that kind of a you know promise that a movie can. It, it, the biggest games are, you know, like sports games, Call of Duty, Grand Theft Auto. Like I I don't think that he he's a natural fit to work on any of those games. Not that he couldn't do it, but yeah. That's Whereas, a good point. Um, yeah. I uh,
1: I wonder Um, obviously, you know, you want to be paid for your time, but I I wonder if the main motivator is it's just, he hasn't found anything he's interested in working on. I mean, he was originally going to, from what I understand, he was originally going to work on Quake 2 and then literally said no when he played the game because he just wasn't interested in the game.
0: He said this game has Um, no atmosphere.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It's so I feel like even if a company had all the money in the world to throw at him, if it, if they're making a game he doesn't care about, like, will he say yes? Probably mm-hmm. not. I mean, the, the man's—he's all set at this point. You know, I—I I feel like at this point is—I it, it, don't know. It, it, I I can't pretend to understand him or know him, but if I feel like if I were him, at that point in my career, having accomplished all those things, I would be reserving my time for things I really wanted to do, regardless of whether or not it was paying me the most. It's like, you know, do I really want to be working on this? Is it going to be fun? Is it going to be engaging? And if the answer is no, it's like, eh, you know there's 20 other people that want my time and he could probably offer me something more interesting. So yeah, my, my guess is, I would hope that it's because he has no interest rather than isn't getting paid enough, but who knows?
0: Yeah, I think you're probably right. I mean, he seems like he kind of does whatever the hell he wants. You know, I don't know how much money he made off that Halsley album, but maybe it was more or less than (laughs) a, you know, the girl with the dragon tattoo or something like that. I'll
1: never know. It's, it was
0: probably marginally less for sure. <laughs> yeah. A lot. So yeah, that's just, I've talked myself in a circle now. I've proven myself probably wrong.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, sometimes so, talking it out is how you come to conclusions, you know? True. True.
0: So from your point of view, if if you had that kind of freedom that Trent Reznor has to choose and pick anything you wanted to do, what are some of the things that you would like to do as a musician?
1: Oh wow! Well, specifically within the realm of um, writing for video games, or just in general,
0: anything you want. Like, if you could score score for David Fincher movies, like, would you want to do that, or if would you know what What are the kind of things that you oh, would do okay. with that kind of freedom? Man, your no, musical, bucket you. uh, musical bucket list if you. will.
1: Musical bucket list. I want to finish. Uh, I, I had a solo project I, that I've been doing for many years called Tanuki or Tanuki Suit. Uh-huh. Um, I would probably want to do one last EP for that, just to close it up, because I kind of left it I was working on one and then the pandemic hit, and I just put it on the back burner ever since, but I hope to get back to it and just finish it out, so I definitely want to do that uh, I'd love to do an instrumental metal album uh, I'd love to if a Quake game ever happens I want to be the guy, I know I won't be there's people who are way better than me and bigger high profile, but if someone said here, write a soundtrack for Quake. I absolutely would take him up on it. As far as films, oof. Um, I like David Fincher, but if I had to pick a director that I would want to write for, maybe uh, Denis Villeneuve, the guy who did um, uh, Arrival and um, Enemy in the uh, f- the new Dune movie. I can't believe that wasn't the first one that came to my mind. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Villeneuve. I would love to write a, a, a score for... Uh, one of his films. Didn't he do it, the new Blade Runner too, twenty forty
0: nine? Did he? I, if he did, I really missed out on that because I. It's not coming to mind when he said. No, it. I can yeah, look it up so for good. you. <laughs> but I love that movie. You
1: got to see that movie. It's incredible. I,
0: I did see oh, the movie. So I just good. don't remember who directed it. It d- didn't even occur to me to think about that.
1: Yeah, which is sure it's odd. Me. Uh, he he is an
0: incredible director. It's interesting that you gravitate yeah, yeah, immediately, immediately towards the these sort of like a you know. Bigger, more epic sci-fi fantasies. Whereas, you know, a lot of people would have said, like, I don't know, I want to work with uh, like Ari Aster, or I don't know, uh, Tarantino. Like, d- depending on like which route you go, personality-wise, like, do you want to make horror movies? Do you want to make epic sci-fi adventure movies? Do you, you know, so <laughs> do you want to be a you know uh, the guy who writes the uh, classical score to some shitty movie that no one ever remembers? Like. <laughs> <laughs>
1: No, that's fair. I mean, yeah. uh, I, I guess the reason why I pick um, Villeneuve is like a lot of his films, um, even when they're not epic in scope, I feel like the tone and pacing of his films really do lend themselves to like some like really like evocative synth use. And I I would love a chance to like reuse like really big synth pads and like cool like arpeggios and like soaring leads you know I, i'm just thinking like what do i like to use as a musician when making music you know and what what would give me the best opportunity to do that i, I like nothing against tarantino films i could never write music for a tarantino film like i wouldn't know where to start like no one really locked, can you know, like, you know?
0: he just he just uh, pulls tracks from from other soundtracks or you know just songs from his record well, see, there you go yeah you know he literally like i don't think he's ever had a composer on a film
1: well, they, yeah. See, case in point. Yeah. yeah someone <laughs> yeah. like Villeneuve for me would like, he would, he would inspire me to like write for his film. Like, it, like watching his films uh, would absolutely like pull things out of me as a musician. And I'd be able to write to it in a way that I couldn't for other directors, directors that I don't think less of. It's just, you know, they don't inspire me the same way.
0: I think I would have loved to have worked in any capacity around Stanley Kubrick just to witness him being whatever he was like, you know, that, that kind of thing would be really cool. It doesn't have to be music. It could be anything.
1: He is a, Oh, for sure. Um, he was a character. I I have a very love hate relationship with his work. Um, I have I have a profound appreciation for everything he did, but I could never watch clockwork orange again. Um,
0: it's very uncomfortable, uh, unsettling movie. It's, uh, it's not a positive experience necessarily. that.
1: uh, understatement of the millennium right yeah. there <laughs> um even even uh 2001 was uh, it can it can be a bit of a hard watch sometimes if you're not in the redhead space uh but yeah no he's incredibly talented but his films are they demand
0: a lot of the viewer i think yeah. i think that's the best way to put that who's the fella who made uh, like stellaris and stalker is it tarkovsky it
1: is tarkovsky i believe yes yeah.
0: Amazing it, um, the the difference, you know, in uh, in what can be expected of the human attention span, even you know thirty, forty, fifty years ago. To now, it is astounding. I mean, you you put Stalker side by side with a Marvel movie. And tell me how often the scene changes or the uh, <laughs> the, the camera moves more than forty five degrees, you know, in a second, ever.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, his his style is like. I don't know how to describe Tarkovsky's film style. It's not industrial, but it's not traditional either. It's like a very, I don't know. It's like proto indie film. It's (laughs) very isolated.
0: It's like a, like a a, a good word. Yeah. When you have a, like a musician who learns the guitar completely on their own, like like your Jimi Hendrix versus, you know, someone who's classically trained and given lessons and that sort of thing. You kind
1: of evolve. I totally know what you mean now. It's like, yeah, yeah, he like he just like he learned how to make films like in a vacuum, and, and pretty then much he yeah. just showed people the stuff he did. Yeah, in no, the I, I totally, Union. I totally understand that.
0: And made some incredible I can't stuff. Can't,
1: yeah. I Can't believe it. Um, every time I think of the Soviet Union, I think of a movie that wasn't even made in the Soviet Union. I, 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 when people ever talk about Soviet films, I'm like, oh yeah, Koyaniskski, and I'm like, wait a minute, that's not a Soviet film. It just sounds funny. Yeah, <laughs> and it's it's super industrial.
0: Did you happen to watch Um, that movie, The the Death of Stalin? I didn't mean to cut you off. Sorry. No, I'm not familiar with that. Uh, Oh, It's like a, it's a comedy about literally about the day Stalin dies and all of the the Russian bureaucrats just freaking out, trying to figure out what they're going to (laughs) do. And Steve Buscemi is like one of the starring. It's so weird. It's the oddest. It's the most strange film. (laughs) Like, Why did anyone think to make this? But it's pretty funny. I enjoyed it.
1: All right, you know I might check it out. I'm I'm a big fan of uh, Steve Buscemi.
0: He he's a tremendous actor. You know he's been in so many silly you know like the Adam Sandler roles and stuff that it's hard to take him seriously. But like, what a tremendous actor he is. Really.
1: Agreed. Uh, Incredible range. He's apparently like extremely extremely intelligent. Um, and he was a I'm pretty sure he was a firefighter before he became an actor.
0: I think he's uh, still like kind of kind of fucks around with the fire department too. Like he, from what I understand on nine 11, he just like called the the department he used to work for and said like, Hey, where can I be at? Like I'm, I'm suiting up right now. Where do I volunteer? Like he's that kind of guy.
1: Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. I had no yeah. idea.
0: Yeah. What a tremendous dude. And yeah, I mean he, and Horace and Agreed. Pete, I don't, he was so good. Him and Alan Alda. And that, I don't know if anyone ever saw that show other than me, but, um,
1: <laughs> it might have been just you, yeah.
0: No, it's so good. Uh,
1: my my, uh, my,
0: I think my biggest memories of
1: him were like his appearances in the um, the Cohen brother movies, like oh, yeah. uh, Fargo. Oh, I God. Think he was
0: in Barton Fink, right? Yeah, Barton Fink. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> However you pronounce it. Um. Yeah, big fan. Of his- uh, yeah. It, it's, I
1: mean, it's been so long since I've seen them. <laughs> uh, but yeah, incredible actor, an incredible person.
0: Okay. So you would, you would maybe compose for some really cool epic sci-fi fantasy films. And then, I mean, is there an album that you picture yourself writing? Is there a a type of game you picture yourself working on? Or I've known so many people who are like, for whatever reason, just like intent on this nostalgic reason. Like I need to make a game on a Nintendo console or something like that. Why? Like, I don't understand quite why that is, mm-hmm. but some people really do feel that way. You know, they want to uh, fulfill some wish from their childhood. Even
1: I can't say that I blame them. Um, yeah. As uh, though I, I don't, I can't say I feel the same way. As far as like a game that I would want to write for, I wouldn't know how to write for it because I wonder if it's outside of my abilities as a musician but i'm really 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 into character action games uh devil may cry and uh the bayonetta series are like some of my favorite games of all time like i can't get enough of them i would love to i would love to write for one of those games just just to just to be on the team um but yeah depending on what kind of game it was or what the tone was or who the characters were it's like i wouldn't even know where to begin writing music for a game like that uh, but I would love the chance, just because I can't get enough
0: of those games. I, I I live and breathe character action games. So, do you think that the the genre of game, we'll, we'll say, mechanically, not not the genre, in like what I'm saying, like medieval fantasy versus, uh, you know, sci-fi or versus uh, whatever quake one really is i don't know lovecraftian first person shooter thing you know but as different as like an rpg is from your 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 typical boomer shooter or from your uh you know side scrolling and metroidvania style game do you think that they have like different requirements from a soundtrack perspective based on the difference in mechanics
1: um huh i've never thought that was a really long and complicated question i
0: apologize (laughs) No, no, it's a
1: good question, though. And yeah, I've never really actually thought about it. If a gun to my head, I would say yes, because, I mean, for example, uh, uh, you have a game like StarCraft versus a game like, uh, I don't know, Deathwing um, or, you know, Warhammer 40,000 Space Marine, right? Uh, there There is a clear, like, parallel and connective tissue in their motifs. You know, they're both, you know, dudes in power armor and they're fighting space aliens. You know, there's a military motif to the whole thing. Uh, they carry giant guns. It's just kind of all very silly, but, you know, similar visually and aesthetically. But I don't think you would write music the same way for... A, a Terran campaign in Starcraft, as you would for the soundtrack to Space Marine or or, or, or Deathwing, um, mainly because of how the games are played. Uh, even though visually the the, the the aesthetic is similar, it's the gameplay ultimately that I feel really dictates pace and the way wow. in which you know a, a player is meant to feel while playing it. And a music, ha- a, a good soundtrack would. Complement that uh and, and uh you, you never want you know the, the the music in a game to really conflict with what the scene is trying to evoke just like you wouldn't want that in a, in a, a film so I, I feel like you know i wouldn't write the same song for a, a tearing campaign as i would like a scene in Deathwing where the player is trying to like navigate these dark corridors fighting space aliens and like death is at every corner, you know, with like a great sense of dread and urgency. So yeah, I I would say, I would say that the game genre, uh, outside of the artistic direction definitely does play some role in dictating how a soundtrack should sound or feel for sure. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. As you were saying that, that was an awesome question. (laughs) I started thinking about how you know if you were to take the soundtrack to do maternal and slap it onto something like what you've worked on, maybe like dwell or alkaline, it would completely totally change the experience. Like the way that you move around on the level would be yeah entirely different. That's a really good point to make, man. You 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 put that quite eloquently.
1: (laughs) Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. (laughs) Just like off the cuff, just thinking about it, and but yeah, no, that was that was an excellent question. I, I think it. It helps me better understand what I do, so I'm glad you asked it
0: so what would be the difference um say in your uh in your diablo style game than perhaps your uh you know your big epic first person shooter style game
1: ooh, you mean in terms of how I would approach the music yeah
0: well what like what do you think would be different <laughs> in the way that you approach the oh, man a lot um yeah.
1: Yeah, tons. Um, even if you were to change the motif of uh, the Diablo type game, let's say we, we don't, we we decide we don't even want to do dark fantasy, right? Let's do like a, a, a cool sci-fi spin, like a high sci-fi spin on uh, on the Diablo, you know, genre or right. you know, clones or whatever you want to call them, right? Um, uh, while I would change the instruments I'd use to better reflect that, the way in which I wrote the songs, I would write them in a way where they just kind of. I don't know about you, but it, it, as good as the Diablo and Path of Exile soundtracks are, they kind of sit like at the floor of the game. They just kind of fill this empty space. You're not really meant to pay a ton of attention to them, nor do they do a lot to really inform the pace and tone of the game uh in the same way they would in a different game. They're just they're just it's just kind of there so the game doesn't feel as like oppressively like isolating, you know. It's right. it, it's it's very it works in the same way that like flavor text does for me. So I feel like I would write just tracks that, you know, evokes maybe a sense of like dread and wonder and suspense, but have it not be too dynamic, have it be you know generally light and consistent, and easy looped um, for something like, for something like a like a, like a a high-paced shooter, I mean, there's so many different ways you can approach that. Like, you could just have... You can do the Quake thing where it's just a track that just... You know, it's just a track with a beginning and an end, and it loops. Or you can take a much more ambitious approach like um, Doom Eternal or Doom 2016, in which... Uh, uh, obviously, there are songs... R- written from start to finish like you you can just buy a soundtrack and like they're complete songs that are arranged in a way that a song would be but the way in which they chunked that for the game is um there will be portions of that track that are just like completely arrhythmic and just like very tonally just ambient you know there would just be kind of like a weird like bass swell that's like heavily filtered that you just kind of hear once in a while while you're just walking through the level, not interacting with anything. And then you encounter a few enemies. You're, you know, you, you get to the point in the game where you're approaching arena, the music starts ramping up. So basically the game switched out one loop for another, but it sounds cohesive because they are both two parts of a greater whole. And then you get into the arena and there's like multiple stages of that arena fight or multiple phases. And the music in that time, while it's still technically the same song on paper, it's switching out these chunks dynamically to fit the pace at which you are playing in that moment. You know, just having it be really, really dynamic. That that is definitely a much more ambitious thing you can do with shooters that I just don't think would translate as well in a Diablo game. Would anyone even notice? I I suppose some people would, but I don't think you would get the the same player feedback. You know, like uh, a shooter... Because it's first person, it, there's definitely a greater sense of immediacy in the things that you're dealing with, and especially in a game like Diablo. As much as I love Diablo and Poe, it's about how fast can you wipe that screen? You know, how fast can you just obliterate everything in sight? Whereas Doom, specifically the new game, Doom games, Eternal specifically, is it requires much more risk management. Uh, calculated engagement. You really have to think about what you're doing and when you're doing it and how you're doing it. Uh, So there's definitely a a greater sense of anxiety and urgency. Uh, And I think the dynamic music model that they use really uh, elevates that. So yeah, as far as, as far as writing for those two genres, my approach would be wildly, wildly different. Um, And I definitely have one concrete approach for Diablo stuff and as far as shooters go, depending on what you want to do with that shooter, you can take it in so many different directions.
0: There's an Forgive emphasis. me if that was a
1: really long-winded answer.
0: No, that's the whole point of doing a podcast and not like a you know a magazine. <laughs> Where it's uh, know, for, yeah, yeah, fair point. Fair it. point. Um Yeah, just to kind of get that extra layer of thought behind, you know. A lot a lot gets cut down in the process of responding to a question through text you know what I mean like you you, you second guess mm-hmm, a lot of what sure. you're gonna say but th- there's so much more information going on in there that's and that's just what makes it to your you know beyond your lips essentially but good point yeah one thing that I'm thinking about is in in quake and specifically is something that marky and you and amorpher all sort of share when working on quake levels is that often the the music isn't it's not like a track you're jamming out to while you're playing, whereas you know that crazy heavy metal soundtrack often is. It's more like this is the sound that you would hear in this big mechanical castle or this, you know, like rock floating miles above a planet or you know whatever ha- the level happens to be, and it, it just complements it so well as ambient noise. Is is no differently than the ambient noise that you would experience in your house. It's just obviously much different, weirder and louder depending on what the setting is. In this case, it's a fight with space aliens and and demons and shit. So it's a bit different, but it's very cool how you guys accomplish that because not a lot of musicians would even consider that, um, something other than sound design.
1: Yeah, no, that's a good point. I would say that, I half agree what they said and I would half agree with musicians that disagree because okay. they, yeah, the reality is um, I would say Marky and more for a right in that. Yeah. Stuff that we write for Quake are, are definitely mood pieces, but I would also say that there is room for musicality in that it doesn't have to be just ambient noise because then you could just use ambient noise, but other musicians who would, you know, clutch their pearls and say, no, it has to be music. I would look go to them and say listen the, the music is only as good as the scene allows it to be if the scene does not call for wild instrumentation you know you, all you're doing is just you, you're creating a situation where you're pulling the player out of the experience it needs to complement what the player is experiencing not overtake it you know you, you should never you should never get the player to feel you know like the music is just too jarring or out of place. The music should be, especially in a game like Quake, it needs to exist in a space where right. it's both complementary, but I don't even want to use the word forgettable. It's just it's just so integral to the experience that you can't separate the music from the game and vice versa. I think is the best way to look at the way I visualize Quake music. They exist for each
0: other. Would you say that okay? Here's an example, right? So when John Romero put out sigil, with the, you know, the deluxe version, you get the Buckethead soundtrack, which is just a collection of Bucketheads, you know, kind of throwaway songs that John selected from and thought that would be appropriate versus Jimmy's MIDI soundtrack. Um, a lot of people like really negatively fed back to or had had negative feedback for, I should say. The the Buckethead version simply because it wasn't, it didn't feel like it was composed for the experience that you were having. Whereas Jimmy's is very, I am know,
1: inclined to agree. Traditionally. Yeah. Okay. Jimmy's was much better. Okay. Um, not to say that the bucket stuff stuff wasn't the buckethead stuff. Wasn't bad on its face. Cause it wasn't, but yeah, no, absolutely not appropriate for sigil as a, as a, um, an episode or doom as a game. I would never use those tracks in any doom game. <laughs> um yeah no i i i wholeheartedly agree with that and that's you know yeah that's that's an excellent example to my point it's the music and the game should or rather the music should complement the game and exist for the game yeah not it shouldn't just exist in a vacuum and then you just slap it onto a game it, it that's not how you build atmosphere that's not how you you know build a cohesive theme
0: that's one of the soundtracks that i have listened to many many times because i mean hey like some cool you know compilation of deep cuts by buckethead i definitely want to listen to that and i have like a million times but I, I don't think i've ever played sigil with anything but jimmy's midi track on it like it just didn't feel appropriate i don't know why
1: the only thing i would replace jimmy's soundtrack with is uh canyon dot mid only because <laughs> that song is just like like burned into my brain like I, I can't tell you how many times i launched like a joke map in like uh, Doom or Doom Two, and then someone just dumped in Canyon.mid. It's just it's it's it gets me every time. I love it.
0: We'll have to make sure that you're part of the next uh like musicians panel. Maybe I don't know if that'll be before or during Realms Deep, but we try it. Like we tried one last year, and it was really really successful. Like uh, or at least from my perspective, it was awesome. We had uh, Immorfer and we had uh, Tony from Call of Seregnar, and I think Metal Neon and uh jimmy there may have been someone else i don't know why i'm forgetting but like I- i'd like to continue to do that uh, and just follow me follow me was part of it
1: uh what i wasn't um what's what's that gentleman's name weekly the guy who works on uh, dread templar and yeah, primeval uh, some other yeah 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 yes primeval yeah um was he yeah. on the
0: panel i'm trying to remember he was he totally was i'm just a jackass and yeah. forgot <laughs> but yeah I'd, I'd <laughs> I mean, like to. there's a lot of people to remember I'd like to continue to do that like like an annual podcasting event or whatever, but just to bring all of these people with different, you know, different approaches and different backgrounds and sometimes different styles, but who are composing games or composing music for games and just see what happens when they start talking uh, or even collaborating and stuff like that. It's been a very fun experience and yeah, we totally got to get like, I got to get Marky involved too. I've been trying to kind of like coax him into some stuff, but he's busy all the time.
1: Oh yeah, tell me about it he's he's, uh every time i reach out to him i ask him i'm like hey uh you know i knew you were gonna do this thing do you need me to do it he's like yeah take care of it i'm I'm, i don't have time so yeah he's he's generally pretty transparent with me so if he's busy you know if if i don't hear from him on something it's like oh yeah he's real busy (laughs) um uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if you'd like to have me on the next one, I, I would love to do it. You know, uh, all those guys, they're, they're all super dudes. Uh, you know, Morpher and I are good friends. Uh, prime I'm super, super big fan of his stuff. The stuff that he's been working on with Dread Templar and the other games. So yeah, that, that would be really, really fun.
0: Prime is a very versatile guy. Like he can really do a lot of things very well. He can do the super super heavy metal stuff, and he can also just like flip the script the the entire other way, and that's really cool to see. Um, Oh, for sure. From what I understand, Uh, talking to him, it's like something I want to do. Yeah, he he comes from like a strictly keyboard kind of background. Like he doesn't have a he doesn't have a lot of background like playing the guitar or anything. So the way that he writes for guitar on the piano is surprisingly does a very good. I'd say mockery, or not, it sounds like a negative word, but you know what I mean? Like a rendition of what it actually sounds it's like imitation. when someone plays a guitar. Yeah, yeah, that's a good word for it. <laughs> My bad. But yeah, he, yeah, he just I'm, does so good.
1: I'm, that's actually like, that's pretty wild. That's like the exact opposite of me. Like, I come from like yeah. metal guitar, and now I write like string parts and like yeah. metal parts. So yeah, we're like, we're like the inverse of each other. That's crazy. Yeah.
0: All right it's been really, really cool. Like kind of just taking this hour or so to get to know you. And I hope that we can do this again. I, I hope to have you as part of the next uh, musicians panel. I'll, I'll let you know, I'll, I'll definitely like put you in the group and when we get it going, we'll, uh, we'll have it happen.
1: Absolutely, man. This was a lot of fun and thank you for having me. And yeah, whenever you get that rolling, uh, um, you know, if it, if it happens to be on a day that I usually can't make it, if you let me know in advance, I will make arrangements. I'll move things around I'll make sure I can be there. Cause yeah, that, that sounds like it would be a lot of fun.
0: Thank you very much Nick. Thank you. Thank you. Big shout out to Alex with a K for coming on the show this track is actually from the Alkaline original soundtrack so make sure you go play Alkaline actually like just go to Quaddicted or whatever and download. I think it's version 1.1 that I have play that, it's awesome and Dwell and everything else that you see Alex with a K put his name on uh, thank you so much to him for uh, being an awesome guest and uh I don't know, kind of touching a nerve um, just in how deep music really goes and you guys know how much that means to me so listen to some of his also want to give a big shout out to everybody who supports the show Shannon, Bridge, Anthony, Mike, Zan, Fred, Brandy, Jack, Robert, Graceless Dragon, Red Eyes, Brad, Dots, Moose, Paul, Flambeau, Igrex, Simon, and Imorfer. Thank you all so much for the support. Uh, if anybody out there is listening, you're like, how do I get my name read on the show? That sounds cool for whatever reason. Uh, these people are all uh, supporters on Patreon. Igrex, Simon, and Imorfer obviously donate a lot of music to the show, so they're, they've always been super cool. But yeah, definitely. Uh, head over to InTheKeep.com. You can even see our merch store. It's there. I'm telling you. I, uh, will say this. Usually, (laughs) um, all of our supporters get episodes early, and I have been really slacking on that front. Like, the last three episodes I have put together the day before, you know. So, I'm just, I'm doing my best, but I am gonna get back on track soon. (laughs) so uh look forward to seeing some really badass episodes i'm thinking i'm gonna get this next one recorded like real freaking soon with Bridgeburner. so i intend to have that out at least a few days early uh, god willing but we'll find out anyway i love you the Drowned god cathalo loves you and until next time stay in the key